Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Geek Time Radio. This week I have with me Bex. Hey there, how you doing? I'm alright, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. I'm a Laser Quest champion now, so I'm quite happy. <laughs> I By saw... that, I, I came not last. I count that as champion. <laughs> oh, so you didn't actually win, because the Facebook post made it look like you won. <laughs> uh, well, my team won. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. So yeah. it's, the, it's the shared glory, and I was not the worst player, so <laughs> I, I you know, I, that, I take a, a large percentage of, of the joy from that because I've never played Laser Quest before. How did you get through college without ever playing Laser Quest? We used to play it all, all the time. I don't know, but I want a refund on my childhood because <laughs> Laser Quest is amazing and now it I is. want to do nothing but play Laser Quest. Yeah, because I mean, sort of mid 90s, it was a huge thing. It was a huge fad. And then it seemed to kind of drop away again. And I've noticed it's picked up a little bit again. Because I know a few people that have been playing it. It's such good fun, though. Really, really it's good It's great. Laugh. We were at Star Command in Whitechapel, which is right near the station. Um, loads of great guys in there. Um, really friendly. They've got some other sort of arcadey games and bits and pieces. They've got a zombie panic room and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and it was it was really, really great fun. The, we did two matches back to back. And yeah. on the first one... I was clearly not quite sure what I was doing because my um, kills and being killed were about the same because I was very defensive and I did a lot of hiding. Right, yes. And then the next match, I was like, hey, and a bit more gung-ho. And then I got far more far more kills than I was killed. So I, was quite, I was quite happy with that. Yeah. Um, when yeah. I discovered that they had... Um, the, the, the guns have got different weapons. So you have a weapon change system like you do in any sort of first-person shooter. Yeah. And one of the things that they had were smart grenades. Oh, nice. Where... It would take out the other team, but not your team. But it had a fairly small radius, which meant that when you were just feeling like, you know what, I'm just going to go do something stupid, you could run into a room where loads of them were sniping people and just set up a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd all just look at you like, what the? And then you'd like, try and run away before they all shot you. <laughs> yeah, that, that reminds me of playing Team Fortress. There was a Team Fortress map that used to have sniper points on either side. And uh, if you could like sneak up on the side and fire grenades into it, you could wipe out like all the snipers on the opposing team. So yeah, I, I get that. It's uh, I really enjoyed playing uh, Laser Quest though. It was it's such good fun. Yeah, it's because I I love the the VR stuff that we did, and that's great and immersive. And obviously, yeah. the serious time in VR was incredible. But there's nothing like running into a room with your best mates, some of which used to work at Laser Quest, and blowing them all up with a grenade, giggling, and then running away. <laughs> Yeah, 
Uh, it's it's an immense amount of fun. I don't know whether there's there used to be loads around here, but I don't know whether there's any close by anymore. But uh, yeah, but this I, was Whitechapel, so that's quite close for anyone in in London. I'm not sure about. Yeah, there used to be a lot around Birmingham. There used to be a huge one in a converted warehouse in the middle of Birmingham, which was was just amazing fun because it was it was all multi level and all painted black and stuff, and uh, that was brilliant. Oh wow. So. I know there used to be one in Trocadero and it was quite cheap because the ceiling had fallen in, which kind of added to the effect of the quite unsafe. <laughs> I kind yeah. of wish I'd got to go to that one when people were describing it to me because that, that sounded quite fun. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there will be more Laser Quest in the future. Yes, I I think that's definitely a good idea. It, it is a really good laugh. So uh, I would advise anybody to go play it if you've not had just. It does take me back to my, my 20s. It's good for cosplayers as well. We had a, a DVA on our team and um, she was also new to Laser Quest, but she had light up shoes, which were cool, but somewhat gave away her location. <laughs> yeah, not the best uh, not the best footwear possibly. <laughs> not not the best for stealth, but she could make them the opposition's colour if she pressed the right button, which hopefully... <laughs> Or some kind of camouflage effect. Maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the rules on that. <laughs> awesome. Yes. So other than laser questing, what else have you been up to? A little while ago, I went and saw the animatronic dinosaurs, which were in Siren Park here, and they were then travelling up. I think they're still going on up north. Large, full-size animatronic dinosaurs in parks. Ooh. Which you, you just can't really beat. It's called Jurassic kingdom i believe and they were really good they were much bigger and much more of them than i expected and there's nothing like you know watching one being very very still before its animation cycle has started and children get closer and closer <laughs> and closer <laughs> and then they all scream it was um it was really good fun and you could just run around pretending you're in jurassic park what what more what, what could you want really yeah that, no. was, that was enough uh, other than that, I went on a little adventure the other weekend for my birthday, where I am now still old, and <laughs> I, I went to Bath, which is a beautiful little city. Yes, um, lovely. One, one of the highlights of Bath for me, because I'm a geek, is that I found a giant Totoro painted on the side of a bridge out in the in the countryside a bit, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. And then also dropped by Cheddar Gorge, if you've ever been there. Uh, I have, but not since I was very, very little, I don't think. It's amazing. They've got all coloured lights in there now. It just looks like Star Trek landscapes. Oh, wow. You've got all these pools of water and then the stalactites and stalactites and caves and windy bits. And it it just looks like if, if they didn't have loads of security everywhere, I would have had, you know, a little Captain Kirk and... <laughs> and things and been posing them because it really really looked like miniature star trek landscapes they were amazing <laughs> awesome very cool um the jurassic kingdom by the way it's in birmingham till the 4th of july and then it's going to manchester blackpool glasgow newcastle and leeds for anybody that wants to go and find that so yes i might have to go into birmingham to it's at the botanical gardens in birmingham till the 4th of july which would be an interesting place to see it i guess <laughs> so yes going around caves seeing dinosaurs laser tag anything else anything else is that not enough man the excitement <laughs> is just <laughs> it has taken away from my tv time i've mostly just been watching older sci-fi anime recently i i re-watched a load of macross stuff right which is okay. very very classic japanese science fiction extremely famous and and still very very relevant and very well done so i was watching macross and macross zero and macross seven cool cool very transforming good. spaceships you know <laughs> <laughs> excellent 
Um, well, I, for me, it's been it's kind of been a week of finales because we've had a number of things come to an end in the UK. Riverdale, which which ended on on both sides of the Atlantic this week. I don't know. You've not been watching any of this series, have you? No, I haven't. It didn't have enough spaceships for me. No. Well, it's it has in fact zero spaceships. <laughs> it, it it does at the moment. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them to put them in at some point, but uh, <laughs> it's plot I mean, twist. Plot twist. Yeah. It's um, it's it's been really good fun though. It's it's incredibly well written. I mean, it, it's Belanti's kind of non DC comic comic book show, but it, it's very well written. It's camp and backstabbing and and uh, proper full on teen drama. But it it's so well done and uh, had an amazing final episode with some wonderful kind of pot, plot twists. And and uh, interestingly, I mean, the, the shock moment at the sort of very end of the episode didn't actually come so much from what was on screen. It was actually what was said in the very final voiceover, because that Jughead, who's one of the characters, voices pretty much all the episodes, you know, his sort of intros and outros. And uh, it was really Jughead's final comment that was kind of the big twist as well. So I've been really enjoying that. It's well worth a watch. It's airing on uh, Netflix at the moment if you were, you know, you can go and get the entire first season if you want to catch up with that. Then we had two like show finales uh, because they completely finished. Vampire Diaries finally finished over here. Um, Was this a show you ever dropped in on? A little bit, not not massively it had sort of got to the point where i think it needed to come to an end <laughs> you know it's it's one of those shows that i i think had started to stretch its storylines about as thin as you could possibly get them so i i think it probably good it finished when it did i mean it came to a reasonable conclusion i think and uh left things open for a number of the characters to be able to show up in the originals as well which i uh, yeah he's always good grim also finished and that was slightly disappointing because the final episode goes through a point of killing off all the characters right. and then does a sort of it was all a dream thing at the end which is kind of such a cop-out and i know why they did it and it does work plot wise there is a reason for it it wasn't like him just wake, waking up in a bed or anything but it's just such an overdone yeah concept so that was a little disappointing that they ended up there but overall that's been a really fun series uh, i i've enjoyed that immensely um, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where the writers end up and that sort of stuff. And uh, Better Call Saul had an amazing episode this week. I mean, almost entirely set in a inside a courtroom, but it was kind of the the ongoing drama between uh, the two brothers who were the two main characters in that. So that sort of came to its pinnacle in that show so um if you've not been watching better call soul particularly if you're a fan of breaking bad it well well worth going to watch if you've not caught up with that yet and american gods has uh its second episode this week as well which saw an introduction of a few new of the uh kind of god characters including the introduction of jillian anderson as the god media have you managed to catch any of these yet i'm not up to date but I'm looking forward to seeing Gillian Anderson. I know a lot of people are basically watching this because of her being in it. The mm. idea that she's going to play the God of Media is just, I think it's brilliant casting. Yeah, she uh, she turns up in the second episode, not in the flesh, but she, she is there and has a conversation with the lead character. So I, I'm enjoying watching her and seeing more of of that i've actually seen the sort of the first two episodes a while back so i'm looking forward to seeing the third 
and I'm kind of going to be following it weekly after that. So, but it, it's how many episodes are they doing in this series? Eight in this series. So that's a good. It's a good amount. Yeah, it's it's a reasonable kind of short run. I, you know, there's not going to be filler in there. It, it's such a brilliant, brilliant show. Wonderfully weird and strange and uh, not quite to the Legion level of strange, but it, it's getting there. Well, it's based on a Neil Gaiman book, so I think we can expect it to try and rival Legion on strange. Yes. Or at least on the inventive. Yes, definitely. Other than that, I've spent an awful lot of time writing this week because we are about to hit the major upfront presentations, a um, couple of which actually recording this on Monday. And uh, there's, I think, NBC and Fox are doing their upfront presentations today. But prior to that, they started announcing all their cancellations, all the renewals, and a number of new shows. So, We'll move on to film and TV news this week, which is basically about all that sort of stuff. So we'll kick off this week's TV and film news with some very long lists of renewals and cancellations. So I'll go through these and jump in if, if you want to like talk about any of them. So on the cancellation side, Powerless has gone, uh, which I know didn't air over here, but I was, I, I mean, it was on NBC in the US and it's one of those shows that, should never have been on NBC in the first place. It was just the wrong place for it. Uh, this was the the show about the firm, the part of Wayne Enterprises that makes gadgets and stuff to help out superheroes. And the moment they said that was airing on NBC, I thought, well, that's going to get one season. And I was right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's gone. Um, Son of Zorn, which was about this sort of cartoon He-Man type character who has a wife in the real world. It was very strange. It was from the guys behind uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and the Lego movie. Uh, unfortunately, that's only got lasted one season, but that looked brilliant. Again, hasn't aired over here at all. The other shows all have. So we've got Cancelled are The Real O'Neills, Baby Daddy, The Great Indoors, Tyrant, Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, Blacklist Redemption, The Catch, Rosewood, Frequency, Sleepy Hollow, and Two Broke Girls. Anything there you're upset about? Not massively. I think Blacklist has just gone on too long now, the, the story had gone on too long. Redemption, I thought, was an interesting idea, but I just I don't think they've got quite enough to to do recurring series on that. Yeah. Um, Sleepy Hollow, just it started off so good, and then they just seem to keep changing it up a bit and yeah i'm not surprised that that one's going and um yeah i was never a fan of things like two broke girls two broke girls the interesting ones on there really are i mean i was sad to see frequency go because i think that show was was good fun it was well put together uh aired on netflix over here so you can watch the entire first season they apparently i haven't checked netflix to see whether they put it on there but apparently there's a little four minute coder that they've put up on the cw website who are the u.s network that ran it to sort of tie up a few little bits and pieces so they although they haven't given them like an extra like feature length episode they've added this little coda onto the end of four minutes to to uh to sort of tie a couple of little things up so i thought that was quite nice of them. Yeah, it's nice to give things a little bit of closure yeah things do things like that do have their fans they just don't have quite enough to give them another series exactly 
Sleepy Hollow, I'm kind of with you. I mean, as we said, if you've read any of the stories on the website, Tom Misson, who plays the lead in it, when we interviewed him as part of the roundtable at, at Comic-Con last year, he'd actually chopped off all his hair without telling the producers. So I think he was equally surprised when it came back for another season. So so, <laughs> so um, I'm not really shocked that uh, that's not returning again. Yeah. And there seems to have had a I fairly bit response. I loved it so much to start with because mm. it was just so much fun and it had such interesting ideas, but it just seemed to suffer from they weren't quite sure like what they wanted to do with it and if they wanted to make it more procedural or if they wanted to keep it as an ongoing story and yeah yeah it's a bit of a shame that one i think that that could have turned into something really really good it didn't help as well losing one of the two leads at the end of the third season as well so um I, although i'm i'm sorry that it didn't manage to kind of pull it together it's it wasn't as brilliant as something like fringe which always had low numbers but managed to keep on getting renewed um, no, it reminded me a little bit of sort of Supernatural. It had that kind of serious, but not, but the characters kind of pulled you in and some good acting, but also not taking itself too seriously all the time. Yeah, and yeah. I would have liked to have seen it turn into another show like that that could kind of go on both sides of that kind of drama, but also self-referential comedy and awareness. Yeah, yeah. But I, it didn't quite get there. Yeah, no, it didn't quite get there. It doesn't quite have the charm of Supernatural, I don't think, unfortunately. And uh, Two Broke Girls cancelled after six seasons, which uh, it sounds like that was a purely financial decision. Apparently the show is entirely funded by CBS, but entirely owned by Warner Brothers TV, who are the studio. And basically CBS are paying a shed load of money, but getting no, practically no return for it. Which, given that CBS and Warner Brothers are part of the same com- company, it's a bit like your parents buying you a toy and then chargingly, charging you increasingly more every year to play with it. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of a very odd position to be in because its ratings weren't that bad. They weren't at the height that they were when it launched and it had steadily kind of dropped. So it's no great surprise that they they wanted to finish it but because you can see if cbs aren't making money out of it why would they carry it on but uh it, i just found that a very odd decision yeah or uh, that they couldn't figure something out to keep it on air if they wanted to so sounds like that you know it's a, it's a shame that finances get in the way of things getting renewed uh I, again i mean i wasn't a huge fan of it i i think i i watched the first couple of seasons but i that i kind of dropped away from it after that but uh, yes, won't be coming back again. So over on the renewal side, number of fairly predictable renewals. Uh, Modern Family is back. Blackish is back. Last Man on Earth is returning for another season, which has been sort of in the balance a bit. Uh, but that's back. Brooklyn Nine Nine returning. The Exorcist amazingly got a new series. One of the things we have noticed with the renewals and cancellations this year is we've seen a few things that have got higher ratings be cancelled than some of the stuff that's been renewed on the same networks as well. So quite often we'll do predictions based on the cancellations and renewals based on what the ratings are like. But this year we've seen probably more than any other year that ratings aren't the be all and end all for some of the US networks anymore, which is quite an interesting shift for them. Is that where they're kind of packaging stuff off and selling it abroad to other networks? Yes, there's there's a a difference now with, um, you know, it's US ratings plus the resale value of those onto things like on-demand services 
places like Hulu because they sell them onto Hulu afterwards, uh, and and Netflix and Amazon Prime, and also the international markets are starting to matter more, which is quite interesting. You know, we always talk about people illegally downloading stuff from America and that sort of stuff, and that's the, one of the reasons why you shouldn't really do it because if you like a show. You need it to get bought by a UK network because that makes the chance of it staying on air go up because they're now factoring that into the renewal system. You know, it is important that you actually watch them on their proper places and don't go and find them online somewhere. Uh, It also factors those audiences into decisions they're going to make with how they take shows forward because if they can see it has a large international audience, they might tailor it slightly. Yeah. And that will mean we'll get things with a more international feel and possibly more varied content or actors and things like that, which I think could be quite interesting moving forward and stopping things being quite so kind of US centric. Yeah, that's that's very true. So, yeah, Exorcist was one of those shows that, um, that, you know, based on the purely on the US numbers, it wasn't doing particularly well, but they've decided that they're going to give it another season. The Blacklist got picked up again. Um, Code Black, again, another show with quite low numbers, but sells quite well internationally. So that's got picked up. Chicago Fire PD and Med all renewed. No news on what's going to happen with Justice as yet. We may know a bit more about that today. We've also got Law and Order SVU is back. Blind Spot again, another fairly low-rated show that was kind of on the bubble, but they've decided to pick up again. Elementary, another show which doesn't do as well domestically but sells very well abroad, that's got picked up again. New Girl got renewed but also cancelled because it's renewed for its final seventh season it's going to be a slightly shortened run it's quite nice with that because fox have decided that they're going to uh give it a final send-off because it it has been a very popular show for them but its numbers have gradually decreased so they're going to give it one final shortened season to finish the stories off with that now onto the big ones. Uh, Gotham renewed, not unsurprisingly. The originals will be coming back. And that was slightly in the balance at CW because of losing Vampire Diaries. There's a question mark about whether it'll stand on its own. Okay. Designated Survivor, the Kiefer Sutherland series is returning. iZombie is coming back. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming back. Whether that's going to be a final season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we don't know yet, because one of the reasons that I think it it got pushed into renewal this time is because it pushes it over 100 episodes and show if you you need basically 100 episodes to be able to sell the entire thing on into syndication to other US networks, which is slightly different to selling it week by week, if you see what I mean. What they do is they package... they, they. package 100 episode blocks up and and flog them in a chunk to the smaller local networks so because obviously america has a lot of little local channels so you might find that your little local fox news channel or whatever your fox channel is airing episodes of agents of shield because they bought like a big 100 episode block so they have this syndication thing it's got renewed for the next season It'll be interesting to see what happens the season after this, whether it gets picked up again, because you have got an Inhuman series starting and whether they decide that the money's better spent purely on Inhumans or whether they want to keep Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because of its connection to the MCU. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with that because its numbers still aren't that high. Mm. It's difficult to give it too many huge plots without them either relying on or crossing over or contradicting things that are happening in the films. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is very true. It's going to be interesting to see exactly what happens with that next season. Now it's over the 100 episode mark. Once Upon a Tiny is returning, and that's kind of interesting because they're basically resetting the entire show and have fired most of the cast. <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to ask, what else can they possibly do? Because it seems everyone I know that's really into it is saying that it just, it's been dragged out too long and they're mostly watching it for the costumes so they can then recreate the costumes for things. And maybe that's what they needed to do is just sort of have a bit of a, a restart on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the right decision. It's going to be interesting to find out how this next season goes. They've kept some of the original cast. Um, Robert Carlyle staying as Mr. Gold slash Rumpelstiltskin. I can't remember the actress's name, but the one that plays the Wicked Witch is staying and Captain Hook is staying. Those are the only three actual confirmed cast members. Uh, Jennifer Morrison, who plays the saviour, is uh, she's definitely not coming back, although she has signed a deal to, to appear in one episode, so it may be she turns up in, the, in episode one and then leaves the guy that plays the her son henry is also gone bell has gone there's snow white has gone prince charming has gone so like the all the other main central characters have all gone so uh they, they are going in quite a radically different direction with whatever they're coming up with next so I, i'm slightly behind on that show so I, I i don't know exactly what plot line is right now but uh they are introducing apparently some new characters in the finale who may be a springboard into things moving forward so uh yeah that's kind of interesting and then Timeless, which has had a very roller coaster week because it started off the week being cancelled and ended the week being renewed. <laughs> was Timeless a show you, you caught? No, it wasn't actually, but I think I remember you mentioning it. Timeless from Eric Kipke and uh, Sean Ryan. So that's the guy that made The Shield and the guy that made Supernatural. It was those two working together. It has that sort of supernatural feel to it. It has that humour to it. Originally, uh, NBC have said they were going to cancel it and there was this huge backlash from fans. And quite often that happens and the network goes, yeah, get over it. But it seems on this in this particular occasion, originally it looked like there'd been some backroom deals to sort out some kind of financial deals. But it seems that the backlash was so large and so immediate on social media and various other places the NBC kind of went, ah, crap, maybe we shouldn't have cancelled that. And uh, the showrunners, Kripke and Ryan, went back to NBC and said, look, look at what people are saying. There must be a way that we can sort this out and get a deal. So, and that kind of feeds into the stuff you were saying earlier about people watching it on a channel, not downloading it, because if all those people in that backlash had not been watching it on a channel, yeah. that's why they wouldn't have been taken into account and they almost lost their show. Yeah, exactly. So its numbers had, had not been hugely high but they've been sort of okay i mean we had it on track for renewal so and so it was quite a surprise when it got cancelled it, it just it sounds like i mean it's another one of these situations where the show's made by uh sony i think in this case so it's not made directly by nbc it's made by an outside network which causes issues financially 
So whether there was some financial dealing going on as well, which there may have been, but either way, it means that Timeless will get a second season, even though earlier in the week we'd said that it wouldn't. So I'm incredibly happy about that because we got so many kind of comments about when it when we posted it was cancelled and then so many more comments about when it was renewed. So uh, <laughs> I think they made the right choice, definitely. It looks like it's going to be 10 episodes the next season, so it's going to be a slightly shorter run, but that's fine. That's okay. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I'm just glad that it's coming back and I hope that it, it uh, carries on after that and uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing because I, I really enjoyed that show. Immense amount of fun. It has, as I said, that kind of, there's a feel of Supernatural to it, that kind of quirky humour that they have in Supernatural, that, that sort of you know in-joke knowing sort of stuff. So yeah. uh, I, Awesome. I might have to do a bit of a catch-up on that one then. I'm very happy that iZombie is getting renewed and Elementary. I do love Elementary. Blind Spot, I'm always 50-50 on because I'm not sure I like any of the cast. But <laughs> I do find the idea intriguing. It's a slightly unusual one. Um, Gotham, Gotham's so up and down. I actually know quite a lot of people that hate watch Gotham. <laughs> they they watch it purely so they can all go sit and complain about it so part of gotham's ratings are people that all hate it so much that they enjoy talking about how much they hate it to the point where they keep watching it yeah that's interesting yes a, a lot of actual sort of comic fans who aren't watching it as a standalone thing but are just sort of going well they've ruined this character somehow they've ruined that character and that seems to be a bit of a sport in the in the comic book fan world at the moment it's, discussing how wrong Gotham is. Um, so that's probably factored partly into its renewal. Yes, I mean, it has got quite good ratings in the US, so um, people are definitely... Uh hate watching it in their uh in their droves so so that's kind i'm of sure it has actual fans as well but i've just always found that quite amusing that most of the people i know who watch gotham say, do you watch gotham and you kind of go oh yeah i do they go it's awful listen to it. i watch it every week <laughs> <laughs> yes um although at the, at the moment it's uh still off air in the uk i think we're, it's what the fourth season we're waiting for um, yeah. Channel 5 failing to pull their finger out and uh, you know, having bumps it back to some point in the summer is all we're getting from them right now. So yeah, They um, don't know that people need to be complaining about it now. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this is, a part again, goes back to part of the problem of people illegally downloading stuff and uh, going and watching it on streams. <laughs> Whilst, you know, we always say don't do that because, the, you know, of, of all the issues we've just mentioned, there is a certain part of me that goes, well, what on earth do you expect if you're going to hold on to a show particularly a show that's aimed at you know a younger more tech savvy audience if you're gonna hold it back for almost a year until since it was broadcast in the us what do you think people are going to do you know so well, it's uh, also that all the conversations about these shows all the fandoms for these shows and things those are global yeah so You've got all all the forums, all the Facebook groups, all the online groups, all these kind of meetups that happen, and they're all over the world simultaneously. So people don't want to be a year behind half the people they're talking to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and know, that they need to just release things as close as they can simultaneously in in all locations because it just really makes everything work better for them as well as the fans. Yeah, I having mean, all that talk and all the same time helps build the hype for each season. Yeah, and yeah, it needs it needs to be sorted out. 
Yeah, it, it does. Um, what possessed Channel 5 to take this decision? I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, you know, I think you can hold shows like, you know, things like Code Black or, you know, shows that are, are comedies like Two Broke Girls and that sort of stuff. It doesn't have that sort of fandom. So you can you can hold that back for a bit if you want. I mean, even things like Elementary, you can hold back because, it, or Blindspot, it's, yeah, that's not, a huge issue if they're not like directly after the US something like Gotham or the originals or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or you know those need to be out within the same week because as you say the the, there is a a huge online presence for those shows for fans and holding them back for so long causes huge issues and they and fans of, of shows like that will go and find it somewhere else so, yeah, well, otherwise, every time they go on Facebook, they see a bunch of memes made from episodes they're not going to see for a year and all the spoilers are done, which is what always happened with Game of Thrones, is that if you didn't watch it exactly yeah. at the time, you had to turn off all social media until yeah. you had seen it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, people don't people don't want to do that. They want to be involved in those conversations with everyone all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Game, Game of Thrones, actually, I've just posted a thing this morning. Uh, I don't know whether you saw last week or the week before i think we were talking about the fact that they've got four new spin-off shows in development george rr R. martin posted a thing last night saying they've actually got five what he's calling successor shows in development so and next week it will be six uh, there's just <laughs> there is so much love for game of thrones yeah it, I mean, it's good on so many levels i've not watched a huge amount of it but the bits i've dipped in and out of have been really good just the the filming of it the the cinematography the set design the costume design there's Whatever it is you like, there is a little bit of it in that show. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenally put together. And if you've got like Now TV or if you've if you've got Sky, there's loads of kind of background little movies and stuff about how they shoot it and about certain characters and about the history and all that sort of stuff. Sort of in the run up to the and you can watch all the previous seasons on on Now TV and on Sky right now on sky catch up so if you've not caught up we gave a throw jet for the if you're one of the few people that haven't then uh, it's well worth going back to watch so moving on to new shows that are in development from the renewals this one was actually completely outside of the first thing is is outside of all the kind of u.s network renewals but we really have to mention it there is a judge dread tv show in development yes <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's in development by Rebellion, who are actually a video game publisher, but I think have the rights to. Uh, they were involved with the movie, and they have all the Judge Dead um, like film rights and game rights. So uh, it's between there. It's, it's with them and a company called I Am Global. The show is called Judge Dread Mega City One, set in the twenty second century. The East Coast has become a crowded and crime ridden megalopolis called Mega City One. The show will follow a team of judges as they deal with the challenges the future shocked 22nd century throws at them. Mark Stern, who was a, a guy that uh, was, I think he was commissioning and stuff at Sci Fi, and he brought in shows like Battlestar Galactica, Warehouse 13, Eureka, Defiance, Stargate Atlantis. Uh, so he's now working at Iron Global and he's the person that's handling it from their side jason and chris kingsley who are the guys that own rebellion are heavily involved with judge dread as they were with the very well received 2012 judge dread film starring carl urban i think it could be really really good i would love to see judge dread in a tv format 
the the movie the last movie was really really good but they could only make it by making it containing to that that one building keeping it a very small scenario and you didn't really get to see any of the wider picture or any of the city or yeah any any of the consequences of anything that went on in the film it was a, a very well produced but very small vision because that was the best the best way forward for that movie so i would love to see something that covers more of the society more of how the, the dystopian it is and how it all fits together and then you can see how harsh the judges are and how that society works and i i've got high hopes for this i think it could be really interesting yeah i mean it sounds like because they're following a group of judges which i think is a really nice idea as well so you're not purely focused on judge dread that i i quite like the idea that it's almost a police procedural but set in the 22nd century in mega city one i i can see how well that might work i think that's quite good in terms of Dredd himself, I do wonder if they'll approach Carl Urban again. Mm. Because although, I mean, he's known, obviously, for his film roles in um, Star Trek and such, he did do a TV series, which was a, a future cop TV series. So maybe he wants to stay away from it. But, I, you know, he's made noises about wanting to play Dredd again. Um, and I think he has said in the past that he would be interested. So I do wonder if they'll rope Carl Urban back in, which I think would be a really nice connection back to that movie as well. Um, mm. well because they're following more judges and they aren't just sort of narrowing it down, because in the comic books they do cover a, a much wider range of things and people and scenarios. It's, it's a very big world. They do a lot of world building in those comics. So if they're following more judges, that gives them opportunity to, to use someone like him because he won't be committed to do as many hours as if he were just the pure lead of it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm quite interested to see where they go with that and what they do. That's still in early development at the moment. So uh, there is a website. If you Google Judge Strange Mega City 1, it'll take you to the website for that. So uh, watching that with extreme interest because I think that's the perfect thing to do with sort of that property i i think that will work really really well so moving on to the uh u.s networks who announced a bunch of new pickups uh cw announced and so did sci-fi and abc and uh, cbs as well so we've not got all the networks we've just got a few of the shows and we'll try to kind of run through them as quickly as we can because otherwise we'll be here all day so um CW first. They've got four show pickups they've had so far. There is uh, a show called Valor, which is set on a army base of uh, helicopter pilots. These highly skilled operatives are tasked with performing clandestine international and domestic missions. Uh, the drama is set in the present, but also utilizes flashback to a failed mission involving one of the first female pilots in the unit. It's written by Carl Jarrow from who wrote Lost Generation, stars Matt Barr, who was in Sleepy Hollow and One Tree Hill. So I don't know, it's a military drama. I don't know whether military dramas are really your sort of thing. I can make it nice and short and sweet by saying, no, they are not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It, if you're into military dramas, I'm sure this is fine. Uh, Carl Jarrow seems like, you know, wrote Lost Generation. So, I mean, that's, which was another military drama. So, I mean, this is obviously what he does. Uh, showrunners and Frink, who was behind being Humans US and Wayward Pines. So, potentially interesting uh, pickup, particularly for CW, which I, I believe there is an exec at CW who's been pushing quite hard to get a military, kind of more serious military drama onto the network. Why he decides he wants that, I'm not entirely sure. But, but yeah, he's been pushing for it. So hopefully this this kind of works for him. See, this this is like his baby and what he wants. So, um, 
There is a show called Life Sentence, which stars Pretty Little Liars Lucy Hale as a young woman who is diagnosed with terminal cancer. When she finds out she's not dying after all, she has to learn to live with the choices she made when she was decided to live like she's dying. I'm I'm withholding judgment on that. I'm not sure I particularly like the premise, but it really depends on how it's handled. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting with this is there's been a number of shows that have taken this sort of idea. Uh, I mean, there was No Tomorrow, which uh, also got cancelled and never aired over here, but there was No Tomorrow, which was on the CW, which was almost the same sort of idea, but without the terminal cancer bit. Uh, So... um, they've sort of taken one show off and then replaced it with something else with a more popular star in Lucy Hale. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't have huge high hopes for this, I have to say. It's got a reasonable cast in it. I, I don't know the writers particularly, so uh, I, I don't know. There, <laughs> Dynasty is returning. The hugely popular 80s soap, which follows two of the America's wealthiest families, the Carringtons and the Colbys, as they feud for control over the fortune and their children. The series in this incarnation will follow particularly from the perspectives of two women who are the odds, Fallon Carrington, the daughter of billionaire Blake Carrington, and her soon-to-be stepmother, Crystal, who is a Hispanic woman who's married into the family. The reboot for this is being handled by Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage from Gossip Girl, who are joined by Sally Patrick, who is serving as showrunner as well, who was on Revenge and Limitless, also involved with the original show creators, Esther and Richard Chaparro. Elizabeth Giles is starring as Fallon Carrington. She's been in Victorious and Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. Natalie Kelly, who was in Vampire Diaries and Real, is playing Crystal. And Grant Show, who was in Devious Maids and Private Practice, is playing Blake. Are you happy to see Dynasty back? <laughs> part of me thinks it's an April Fool's. Part of me thinks it was inevitable. And part of me doesn't entirely care. But I did really like Revenge and Limitless. So yeah. maybe this will surprise me. I mean, because if someone told me the plot of something like Revenge offhand, I'd never think it was a show I would watch, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean, what I think this does have going for it, okay, Dynasty was a huge brand, but it it was very, very 80s. I think the interesting thing for me is the two people behind it, or the, the people behind it, Gossip Girls, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage. So they are people that know how to write backstabbing dramas. Sally Patrick, again, having worked on Revenge, is somebody who's in that kind of wheelhouse. The original show creators are on board. The cast that are involved, Natalie Kelly uh, play, has played some really quite harsh characters on Vampire Diaries and Unreal. Grant Show was on Devious Maids and Private Practice. Again, kind of soapy and and sort of backstabbing dramas. So I, th- the group of people they've pulled together to pull this off are very interesting. So whilst I, I'm probably don't see myself watching it i'm in the same position as you it's not a show that i i ever see myself watching but it it feels like they've got a very solid team behind it so it could be an extremely good example of what it is yes and i might be tempted to watch the first couple of episodes and see if it's one of those things that will pull me away from my my normal watching habits like revenge did yes it could be one to watch out for that and lastly, we've got Black Lightning, which we've talked about a few times before on here, which is the new show, part of the Belantiverse. So it sits along Flash, Arrow and all those. 
Stars Cress Williams as Black Lightning, aka Jefferson Pierce, as a retired superhero. He's forced back into the criminal bashing game when his daughter and a star student get caught up with a local gang. Olympic level athlete and skilled martial artist who can also generate and manipulate electricity. Well, it's going to be good because it's part of the Balantiverse, I think. <laughs> They have trouble doing any wrong. They normally cast things so well that even the poor episodes people still enjoy because they're they're so enamoured with the characters. So I'm just assuming a a basic level of competence and good. Yes, very much so. Same with me. I mean, this will be the fifth show on the CW. It will be the sixth show in the Belantiverse because there is a Titans TV show which is going out, which we mentioned I think last week or the week before, which is going out on the DC uh, streaming thing that they've come up with. But this will be the fifth consecutive show that's running actually on the CW. What's going to be interesting with this is where they actually put it, because they're talking about it coming mid-season. So it will be early January, February next year. That makes me wonder whether they're going to maybe give 12 episodes to Legends and then give 12 episodes to this and switch them out, possibly, rather than running them at the same time. Mm, it'll be interesting to see, because they are, it's getting quite crowded now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, bringing it in as mid-season would mean they're either going to have five shows running at once or... Or they're going to have like the main like super, you know, Flash, Arrow, Supergirl shows running. Then Legends, which has always been a slightly shorter season. Maybe they trim that from, I think it was 16 episodes down to 12 and then put 12 episodes or, you know, 11 episodes or whatever of Black Lightning on for the second half. So run it that way, possibly. Or it may be that they run them all at the same time, or it may be that they run Flash Arrow Supergirl together and then run Legends and Black Lightning together afterwards and start them both mid-season, possibly, and do 16 episodes each. So, I don't know. They've not announced episode lengths yet, so we'll see. That should come later in the week, I think. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. There is, like you say, a certain level of competence, competence you expect with those. So moving from them onto sci-fi, but sticking with DC... Sci-Fi have picked up two shows and announced they've got a third in development. Krypton, they picked up, which we've talked about a few times before. It follows the story of Segel, the grandfather of Kal-El, uh, a.k.a. Superman, and it's set two generations before Krypton explodes. The House of El has been ostracised in shame. Seg fights to restore the family name and honour to stop his world descending into chaos. The man behind it is David S. Goyer, who was behind Constantine and Vigis Demons and Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. Uh, he wrote the pilot with Damien Kindler, who is written on Sanctuary and Sleepy Hollow and Stargate SG-1. And Kindler's also serving as showrunner. It's based on a story by Ian B. Goldberg, who was uh, writing on Once Upon a Time and Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. I, I would love to see this. I've always loved some of the old lore and things they kind of only ever vaguely touch on with the history of Krypton and that civilization. So if they've got a big enough budget to actually show that and explore that, I think this could be a really, really fun one. I'm, yeah, I, I was really excited when they announced it and I'm think that everyone involved in it is the right people to be involved in it yeah i i think it's it's definitely the right people behind it i mean goya is deeply deeply steeped in dc stuff so i think he's definitely the right person behind it 
You've and also- everything kind of with Batman versus Superman that didn't quite work, a lot of that came down to runtime. So if you're looking at a TV format, yeah. that, that's going to mean that all the good things that were in Batman versus Superman hopefully will be will be continuing on and none of the things that people complained about with pacing and so forth. Yeah, I would hope so. So um, I, I think this looks quite positive. There was a brief trailer that was floating around online, which wasn't a sort of officially released trailer. So it's got pulled from most places now. But um, from what we saw in that, it looked like it could be quite good. Uh, it was it was sort of fairly dark and felt far more Battlestar Galactica than it did sort of life and fluffy like Legends of Tomorrow or that sort of thing, you know. The other comic book series they picked up is Happy which stars Christopher Maloney from Law and Order SVU and True Blood. He plays Nick Sachs, a corrupt, intoxicated ex-cop turned hitman who is adrift in a stinking twilight world of casual murder, soulless sex, eczema and betrayal. With a hit gone wrong, a bullet in his side, the cops and the mob on his tail and a monstrous child killer in a Santa suit on the loose, Nick and his world are changed forever by a tiny, relentlessly positive, imaginary blue horse called Happy. Yeah, we talked about this one last time. I was on. I think I I think this could be an interesting move forward for the world of television if they're actually going to make this like the comic book and the pilot being co-written by Grant Morrison will make all of the comic book fans happy. Yes, um, I'm. I mean, I, it sounds like Morrison, Grant Morrison, who is is an incredible comic book writer. It sounds like he's primarily writing it, and he's got a guy called Brian Taylor on board who is sort of co-writing it with him. I get the feeling that may be more because Grant Morrison I don't think has written TV shows before so it may be more Grant Morrison basically writing it with a bit of help from Brian Taylor Taylor's also directing as well Patrick McManus who was he's uh, worked on Marco Polo is serving as showrunner I'm extremely interested to see that come to air because it, it's it's kind of such a left of field idea for a TV show that looks brilliant I would love to just sort of show it to a lot of people who watch standard cop dramas and see how long it takes them to look confused <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So there's that coming. Also in development at the moment, this isn't coming to series yet, but they've said they put it into development. It's a show called Night Flyers, which is based on a uh, novelette by George R. R. Martin. It's set in the future on the eve of Earth destruction. A crew of explorers take a journey aboard the Night Flyer, the most advanced ship in the galaxy, to intercept a mysterious alien spacecraft that might hold the key to their survival. As the crew nears their destination, they discover that the ship's artificial intelligence, along with a never-seen captain, may be steering them into deadly and unspeakable horrors out in the dark reaches of space. Well, I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Space, evil, and everyone's probably going to die. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that does sound really good uh before you scream out finish the damn book george uh mr rr martin is actually contractually tied in with hbo so he doesn't have any direct involvement with this they basically just bought the rights to the book off him so he won't be writing or involved with any of the development on it he's he's still uh dealing with game of thrones stuff right now uh show has been written by jeff buhler who is writing the new jacob's ladder movie apparently so i don't know from anything else with that but uh yeah i I mean what's interesting is sci-fi released a thing saying they're they're looking um developing a lot more of this serious sci-fi stuff in the 
vein of the expanse which it sounds like this is and a lot more comic book based stuff like krypton and happy all up for that sci-fi actually living up to their name for a change which is good i think we should send them a little congratulations card (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thank you for putting sci-fi on (laughs) (laughs) sci-fi yes definitely over on abc We've got a number of new shows being picked up there. First one is uh, seven in total, actually. First one is called The Good Doctor. Stars Freddie Highmore from Bakes Motel as Sean Murphy, a young surgeon with autism and savant syndrome who relocates from a small country life to join a prestigious hospital medical surgical unit. Alone in the world and unable to connect personally with those around him, Sean uses his extraordinary medical gifts to save lives and challenge the scepticism of his colleagues. If you think that sounds a little bit house-like, it's because it's actually coming from David Shaw, who is the guy that made House. Uh, Although it is actually based on a South Korean format, brought to the uh, ABC, by the looks of it, by Daniel Day Kim, who uh, plays Jin on Hawaii Five-O. I know medical dramas aren't really your thing, but it is a medical drama from David Shaw. And it's got Freddie Highmore in it, who apparently, although I didn't see Bates Motel, was brilliant in Bates Motel. So... I know. I think it's one of those ones I need to give a chance because House is brilliantly written and I very much like Daniel Day Kim. Hopefully he'll be in it as well as executive producing it if it's something he's brought over. I'd be interested in looking up the original South Korean show, to be honest, and seeing what that's like as well. I think there's um there aren't that many things brought over from South Korea to America. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of translates across or if they're just taking the basic format and redoing from scratch yeah i mean daniel day kim at the moment i don't think he's going to appear in it but it, it's sounding increasingly like there's probably only one more season left in a y50 so that will free him up a bit if he if he then wants i think to there's go. probably minus one season left in Hawaii <laughs> that's a fair point i really yes. loved it to start with but it's just they, they ended up yes. rewriting their character's main personality traits at various points to sort to, to kind of suit different plot lines in order to stretch things out further yeah Never mind. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. No, I I am kind of with you on that, but uh given that the uh the lead actor is leaving and the co-lead is spending less and less time on the show, I <laughs> I think they probably want to bring it to a should bring it to an end next season. Next up, Zach Braff's got an untitled comedy previously known as Startup. Based on the Alec Bloomberg startup podcast, sees Braff star as a man in his 30s who decides with his wife and kids to give up his well-paying radio presenter job and start his own business. I have to say, as a description, that he's completely uninspired to me. It's not something that really kind of makes me want to go watch it. The thing that has this going for me, really, is the fact that it's Zach Braff. He's teamed up again with Mactar from uh, who is his co-producer exec co-producer on Scrubs uh, the co-stars of the series got Michael Imperioli as one of the co-stars from The Sopranos and also uh, Tyler Sinclair from uh, who voices Sabine in Star Wars Rebels he's actually going to be on screen in this in this case so um, I, I, mean, I can't imagine that's one that's inspiring you particularly uh, not massively at the moment it just hasn't got enough information on it to have an opinion I don't think yet yeah the fact that it's that Braff makes me think that it could be worth a look, but, you know. I think that's the, the only reason that anyone is interested in it right now. If that's the only description they're giving of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They might as well just write, Zach Braff has a new comedy, watch this space. Yes, pretty much. Next show is called Gospel of Kevin. It's from the creators of Reaper, if you remember that TV show. Stars Jason Ritter from Parenthood and The Event. 
as Kevin Finn, a man in a downward spiral of despair, who's visited by a celestial being, and he, they, he tass, she tasks him with a mission to save the world. Uh, show is described as light drama. So even though that sounds like it could be a sitcom setup. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know how light this light drama is going to be, but um, yes, anyway. Directed by Paul McGuigan, who is the director of Sherlock, or one of the directors of Sherlock and Luke Cage. It's written by Tyra Butters and Michelle F- uh, Fackers, who was a writer on Agent Carter, Dollhouse, and Hawaii Five O. Co-starring J. August Richards from Angel and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Joanna Garcia Swisher, who was Ariel on Once Upon a Time. Uh, a few other people in there as well. Again, it's it's a fairly short description of the show, so it's kind of difficult to gauge, I guess. Yeah, it, it's, the description sounds either very, very comedic or very, very serious. Yeah. When it sort of said like, oh, and it's a light drama, that sort of threw me quite a lot. Yeah, I, that, that's what's... It, it's very difficult to f- see where the tone of it is going to be. I mean, light drama makes it sound like it could be slightly comedy drama, maybe, I guess. So moving on, we've got the next one, which is most definitely a comedy. It's called The Mare. Stars Brandon Michael Hall from Search Party as Courtney Rose, a young rapper who's searching for his big break, tired of toiling away in his tiny apartment and getting nowhere. He decides he needs to come up with a massive publicity stunt, so he decides to run for mayor of his local town in California. Unfortunately, his plan spectacularly backfires when he wins the election. Rapper takes mayoral office is basically the uh, tagline for it. It's one of those descriptions you expect to have the phrase with hilarious consequences at the end of. Yes, it is. It is. So <laughs> I, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I reserve judgment on that one. There's a show called The Crossing, which tells the story of a group of refugees who turn up in a small American fishing town claiming to be fleeing from a war-torn country, only that the country actually is America and the war hasn't happened yet. I thought this sounded quite interesting as a premise. Um, I, it's very um, ambiguous as a premise. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, I wonder how much they're going to go into depth because just thinking about current political situations and things in America, in how much depth can they actually go into such topics? It's not necessarily a particularly original idea. I mean, this sort of thing has been done before with, you know, anything from, you know, the, the 4,400, the, even the 100, actually, and various other things which have had ele- either elements of time travel or elements of people kind of turning up and then dealing with the consequences of, of kind of landing in amongst, the, you know, a bunch of locals. I mean, it's not the most original idea, although I don't think we've ever seen it quite in this configuration before. I don't know, there's an element of the, something like the returned to it as well, although that was people people coming back from the dead it's sort of people in a small town suddenly taken over by this group of people that appear out of nowhere there's a similar thing going on i guess yeah it'll be interesting to see how they're going to tie the new people to the the place they've arrived at are they going to be the future relatives of the people from the town or yeah, yeah. their kids grown up or it, there's a lot of different ways that that could go yeah it doesn't specify sort of how far into the future this war is so it may be grandchildren or you know, so it, it, that's what I mean with it being slightly like the returned. It's sort of the returned, but the other way. Whereas the returned is kind of people coming back from the dead. This is potentially future generations coming back to the past with the same sort of consequences, but in the opposite direction, I guess. Mm, paradoxes, ahoy. Yes, exactly. 
there is a courtroom drama from Shondaland, the people that brought you uh, Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal, called For the People, which follows brand new lawyers working for both the defence and prosecution, uh, handling the most profile high stakes. <laughs> I just, the, the entire thing is, is, it's a bunch of lawyers working on high profile federal cases. I know it's from Shondaland. It will be high quality. It will be great. It's a bit like we were talking about with the Belanti series. There is a certain level that you expect from a Shondaland series. But beyond that, it's basically a courtroom drama. I'm sure it will be fine and great and some people will love it, but it's not exactly inspiring in any way, shape or form. It doesn't seem from the description so far to be massively standout. No, no. But I then mean, in some ways, Suits didn't look like it would be massively stand out and it all came down to the acting and the interaction between the characters and the chemistry. So I'm yeah. sure it would be a very competent example of people in a courtroom. Yeah, I, that's sort of my feeling. I was just like, uh, it really, it was one of those things that when I read it, I was like, well, fine, but yeah, whatever. It's it's kind of a bit wallpapery TV from my liking that, but we'll see. And uh, speaking of Belanti, he has another show called Deception, which is written by Chris Ferdak, who was a writer on Chuck and Legends of Tomorrow. Show stars a guy called Jack Cutmore-Scott as Cameron Black, a superstar magician whose career is ruined by a scandal. Rather than take to doing car tricks on the street, Black approaches the FBI to offer his services in deception, influence and illusion. Using every trick in the book and inventing some new ones, he helps the government catch the world's most elusive criminals while staging the biggest illusions of his career. We have mentioned, I think, this show on the podcast before, and uh, there was another show that somebody said it sounded a lot like, and I can't remember which one it was, but um, it sounds like, again, it's a Blanche show, so there is going to be a certain level of quality you're going to expect from it. It sounds a bit like The Mentalist, but that with was bigger it. tricks. Yeah. yeah. It was probably me that said that. <laughs> it probably was, yeah. Yes. It sounds like The Mentalist 2.0 from what people have been telling me about that show. So, uh, again, it's from Belanti. I, I don't know the, the guy who's the lead. I The fact that the writer is a guy that writes on Legends Tomorrow, which I adore, and uh, Chuck, which I also adored, makes me think it might be worth watching, assuming that crops up everywhere. That's the other thing, of course, is we don't know where any of these shows are likely to crop up in the UK or if they are going to crop up in the UK. So um, that's all ABC stuff. CBS picked up nine shows. First one we already knew was coming, Young Sheldon. It's the tale of the nine-year-old Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory who can't configure out almost anything except his family. I'm still not entirely convinced whether this is a re- this is a good or a bad idea at the moment. They're just making so much money from Big Bang, they're going to be looking for ways to to kind of expand that universe and, and things. It might be interesting to see some of the relationships between a young Sheldon and his twin sister. Yes. Some of those stories and things, but yeah. it's, I, I sort of have lost any kind of liking for, for Big Bang kind of as it's gone on. I felt that I'm not entirely on board with some of the jokes and some of the way it's being written now. That's not uncommon with a lot of people feeling like that about Big Bang Theory right now. So, um, mm. I mean, I'm I think t- it's the issue when you move from something that's sort of standalone joke episodes to trying to move something into being more of a drama. Yeah. with an ongoing plot line and it it constrains your writing to a certain degree and they're they're relying on some jokes that i'm not too keen on and those are kind of recurring themes and yet maybe if they format young sheldon to be a, a continuing plot line narrative rather than a sort of singular episode thing which is how a lot of sitcoms start maybe it will 
maybe it'd be a very different beast. Yes, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, the the whole thing he's done with Jim Parsons' blessing, he's actually, you know, exec producer on it and is narrating the series as adult Sheldon. Interesting bit of clever casting in there. Um, Zoe Perry, who was on NCIS and The Family, she's playing the younger version of Sheldon's mother, who is played by Laurie Metcalf in the main Big Bang show, but looks remarkably like Laurie Metcalf, and that's because Zoe Perry is actually Laurie's daughter. So, <laughs> so they cast the daughter playing the, the younger version of the mother, which I, I thought was a great bit of casting. Uh, you know, it's like, you, it's one of those things, she, if any, she really should have been a shoo-in for that role regardless. So, <laughs> so yes. Um, sticking with the Big Bang Theory, there is a another show they've picked up. It's another comedy called By the Book, which is previously known as Living Biblically. It's actually exec produced by Johnny Galecki from Big Bang. Uh, it's written by Patrick Walsh, who was one of the writers on Two Broke Girls. This was picked up quite late. It was after they cancelled Two Broke Girls. This is the thing that they've picked up to sort of you know fill the slot. Centers on a modern day man at crossroads in his life who decides to live according to the Bible. Stars J.R. Ferguson, who was on the Real O'Neills, which as we mentioned earlier, is now cancelled, so that frees him up to do it. What's quite interesting about this is it's actually based on a non-fiction book where somebody did do this in real life. So <laughs> You know, and I know they're making a comedy series out of it. Part of me would rather see the, a documentary that is kind of a, a documentary series based around the real guy doing it. But, you yeah, know. I think they need to clarify if it's the Old or New Testament as well. Because <laughs> that's, that's two very different series otherwise. <laughs> that's very true. Yes, yes. Sort of, yes, there's a lot more killing in the Old Testament. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I could be could be quite a funny comedy. Although I would like to have seen a bit more about the the actual original, you know, the guy that did it in real real life. I know he wrote a book about it. So, um, but yes, a documentary series about that would be quite good. Uh, there's another little comedy which again doesn't massively inspire me. It's called uh, Splitting Up Together. It's from the uh, creator of Suburgatory, Emily Kapnick. It's based on a Danish series about a couple whose marriage is reignited by the divorce. Stars Jenna Fisher from The Office and uh, was in Yumi and the Apocalypse. And Oliver Hudson, who was in Nashville and Screen Queens. It's such a vague like setup for a, a really standard relationship comedy that I really can't judge it one way yeah, or another. It doesn't but, even have a hilarious twist. Yes, uh, there, there doesn't seem to be anything really particularly going for that yeah. in, but I guess I mean, if you describe suburgatory it would be like single dad has to take his daughter to boring suburb yeah I guess I, I think you and, know. and that worked out quite well I mean I, I didn't watch it the whole way through but some of the first couple of series were, were really quite funny yeah yeah so I mean it's got a good writer behind it it's got a really good cast in it I mean Jennifer Fisher very, you know been in some great things uh, and uh, Oliver Hudson as well so I mean the leads are good it could be brilliant but it's very difficult to judge from that. There's a show called Me, Myself and I, which is a single camera comedy which looks at the life of one man called Alex Riley over a 50-year lifespan. So it's it's set in three distinct periods. Him as a 14-year-old boy in 1991, him as a 40-year-old man in present day, and him as a 65-year-old in 2042. So the present day guy is played by Bobby Moynihan, who's one of the Saturday Night Live guys. So he's playing present day. You've got Jack Dylan Grazier, who will be 
in the new version of It that's coming up. He's playing the younger version. And John Larroquinette, who he was in The Librarians and Deception and Chuck, he's playing the older version. It's written by Dan Copperman, who wrote On Malcolm in the Middle and Rules of Engagement. I think this sounds like quite an interesting premise because you're not only dealing with some historical stuff i say historical in quotation marks because like it's the 90s but you're dealing with sort of stuff from the 90s you're dealing with stuff now and i like the idea that you're dealing with an old curmudgeonly guy in the future i don't know there's something quite appealing about this to me i think it's one of the most unique comedy format things i've seen in all of the the upcoming announcements yeah definitely someone trying to do something very different and it's something with a lot of scope because you're dealing with such a big time period that if it does turn into a long, ongoing series, there's always more material for them to draw on. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's quite interesting because, I mean, Bobby Moynihan's been put forward as the lead because he's sort of playing present day, but it depends how they chop that up. I mean, it may be that you're getting three equal parts in that show, so it may be that the 14-year-old, the 40-year-old, and the 65-year-old are all getting kind of their own equal bits or it could be a case of they end up weighting it one bit's working better than the other so they end up weighting it more towards one bit than the other bit so i don't know but it it's uh it's an interesting premise for a show that i quite like that yeah they could do a lot of exploring the different opinions of the same person over time and yeah show or or they could narrate different things from other people's perspectives yeah so, It'd be interesting to hear what fourteen-year-old would think of what the sixty-five-year-old was doing if he was narrating that. You know, it depends how loose and fast they're going to play with sort of the timeline. Yeah, it's an interesting premise, and I, I look with interest to see how that gets put together. There is another comedy coming called Nine JKL, which is a family comedy inspired by the a time in the writer and star uh, Matt Fraudestein's life. When he lived in apartment 9K in the building he grew up in, he was sandwiched between his parents on one side in 9J and his brother, sister-in-law and baby in the apartment 9L. So the show sees his attempts to set boundaries with his intrusive but well-meaning family. Mark Fraudestrian, he's writing and starring in it. He's currently playing the husband who may be slightly shady, maybe not in the uh, in prison break at the moment. He was in Royal Pains in The Hustler as well. Yeah, I mean, it sounds again like a fairly standard sitcom setup, sort of family comedy sitcom setup, I think. Yeah, which is the comedy, is it the Goldsteins that's the one that's in the 80s, that's about the the writer's life? That was a lot better than I thought it would be. And that was actually massively endearing because they showed, at the end of each episode, they show the footage that he filmed as a kid that inspired the episode. Oh, cool. um, Which I always found a mixture of nostalgic and, and interesting to see that they actually recreated kind of shot for shot some of the things he did as a kid in the episodes for that series. So the Goldbergs, isn't it? Not Goldsteins, Goldbergs. So if this is a similar kind of thing, and if it if it stays very close to things from real life, sometimes that can work well, but it could equally be very generic. Yeah. I, it I depends mean, how interesting his life actually was. And and why on earth would you live in that apartment? Was it, <laughs> that's the first thing they need to address. They don't address why on earth he took the apartment. Yes. I, I, I won't be able to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's gonna one thing that's going to bug you if they don't address that at some point. Um I mean, the the rest of the cast is is quite good. It's got Elliot Gould in it, who is amazing, who was in MASH and Ray Donovan and uh, Friends, uh, played Monica's dad in Friends. So it's going to be kind of interesting just to watch what happens with that and whether it is actually going to go anywhere or whether it is going to be fairly generic. So moving on, we've got Instinct, which I think originally was called Dr. Death and they changed the name of it, but it's now called Instinct, which is far more generic. 
Um, yeah, Doctor Death is a much better name. Yes, it is. Uh, it's it's an adaptation of an upcoming James Patterson novel. Uh, James Patterson, who is the guy that brought us the brilliant and utterly bonkers zoo about the animals that gang together and try and kill off the humans, <laughs> uh, which has us going on over here. So it's another novel from James Patterson. It centres on a former CIA operative played by Alan Cumming, who is pulled away from his new life as a professor and writer back in his CIA past when the NYPD needs his help catching a serial killer. Yeah, stars Alan Cumming, who people will probably know these days from The Good Wife, but was also Nightcrawler in the X-Men. Michael Reunsch, who wrote Royal Pains and Beautiful People, is writing the series. I don't know. I, I mean, I really like Alan Cumming. I think he's a fantastic actor, and it's interesting to say to see him take this sort of lead. Much as I hate to admit it, I quite enjoy Zoo, <laughs> which is James Patterson's kind of other book. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm up for I'm up for giving this a a, a try. I think. You can report back to me on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to the next one, we've got SEAL Team, which, I, again, is a fairly uninspiring kind of tagline because follows the professional personal lives in the most elite units of Navy SEALs as they train, plan, and execute the most dangerous high-stakes missions that the country can ask of them. Again, not exactly massively inspiring, but it is starring David Baranis from Bones and Angel, Max Therot from Bates Motel, AJ Buckley, who was in NCIS New York and Supernatural, Jessica Padre from Mad Men, Neil Brown Jr. from Suits and Dirk Gently, uh, and Tony Trucks from Franklin and Bash and Grimm. So whilst I'm completely uninspired by the tagline, I do quite like the cast. So that may be fine i guess <laughs> you're not going to be working on the marketing team for that one then this you... may be fine i guess <laughs> i mean they picked it up so presumably they think it's okay this was originally cast with the uh with jim cavalier from um person of interest in the lead and he dropped out and david brennis took over I, I guess he decided he didn't want to play that sort of character again uh either that or he didn't like the look of the script i don't know but um, yeah, I've, I mean, it's very difficult to judge things on that. It's one that I will go and look at because of the fact that David Baranis is, is attached to it. But um, yeah, It looks like one you put on when you're eating your dinner. Yeah, it, it does a bit, you know. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Two more shows. We've got Wisdom of the Crowd, which stars Jeremy Piven. And he plays a visionary tech inventor who's inspired by the notion that million miles are better than one. Based on this principle, he creates a cutting-edge crowdsourcing app that to, to help solve his daughter's murder and in the process revolutionises crime solving. It's based on an Israeli format of the same name. The US version has been written by Ted Humphreys, who wrote The Good Wife and Shark. I like the sound of the premise of this, and it's starring Jeremy Piven, which is no bad thing, as far as I'm concerned. I think it's quite an interesting premise. I think it's nice to see something a little bit different. That's Crowdsourcing is obviously something that's very buzzworthy, but it hasn't really been used in conjunction with solving murder before that I'm aware of. So they get points for ingenuity. Definitely. I think that could be quite sort of interesting as, as an idea. And I'm, I'm sure we'll end up with seeing kind of crowdsourcing murder solving apps out on the market straight afterwards. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it'll be the next one after Angry Birds. <laughs> 
Um, and lastly, we've got SWAT, which is another show from Sean Ryan, who created The Shield and Timeless, as we were mentioning earlier. Uh, it's inspired by the uh, 2003 Samuel L. Jackson and Colin Farrell film of the same name. Show follows an LA native SWAT sergeant played by Shermar Moore, who was in Criminal Minds and will won't be coming. I think he was in Criminal Minds quite recently and now won't be coming back. Uh, who is torn between the loyal- loyalty to the streets and duty to his fellow officers when he is tasked to run a specialised tactical unit that is the last stop for law enforcement in Los Angeles. I mean, again, it sounds fairly like police procedural stuff, but it's got Sean Ryan behind it, who created The Shield, which was an incredible series. And he does this sort of interesting conflict stuff really, really well. I mean, I know it says inspired by the film, but they've sort of played that down quite a lot in a lot of the marketing stuff I've seen for it. Again, I think it could be one that is worth following. I I won't be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just, anything that's too procedural, I I just really get turned off by I mean I love stuff like elementary but that it it has really good sort of running through plots as well and it comes down to the cast and things but yeah anything that's that's too kind of military based I'm just not really that that interested in yeah I mean I'm generally I'm with you I'm fairly the yeah the same I don't tend to watch that many military shows I will probably give SWAT a watch because of the fact that it's got Sean Ryan attached to it and this is entirely his sort of wheelhouse we'll see but that's the last show really out of the list so far there will be more coming next week anything particularly stand out of that list for you anything that anything that was science fiction generally will jump out at me and anything that was just different any of the comic booky stuff i mean it's such a mixed mixed bag what's coming out it's some stuff that looks really really interesting and some stuff that's using concepts we've not seen before like crowdsourcing murder solving and then the other ones are just so generic and by the numbers yeah. They seem like filler shows that are directly designed for you to not pay that much attention to. I, I know sort of what you mean. What's been quite interesting so far is we haven't seen, you know how each year you get to, tend to get a theme where you get a cluster of shows that are all based around the same thing. Um, mm. Like last year we had like five time travel shows. I can't remember what, we, what it was the year before that, but they, you know, quite often you get this cluster of stuff and we don't seem to have seen that this time around we've seen a few uh, military more military shows maybe the this year but there's not like being one particular strong genre area that people have sat in i think this time which is Mm. quite nice quite a mixed bag which i think will probably play in its favor because we won't have too many shows competing with each other which gives them all an opportunity to stand out on their own merits for their own particular audiences yeah so i mean cw obviously like monopolizes any of the dc tv stuff but other than other than that it seems quite varied yeah it will be interesting and we will be keeping track of where all these shows go where they land in the uk not all of them will land in the uk i hasten to add i i will strongly expect to see black lightning end up on sky one because uh, i can't imagine they want that to go anywhere else dynasty i suspect will land somewhere here because it's such a huge brand uh, for the others who knows young sheldon will end up somewhere here as well but um yeah, very difficult to sell on all the others because sometimes we'll look at these and you think, oh, that sounds really good and then it doesn't appear anywhere over here. So <laughs> so we'll see where, where things pop up and we shall keep you informed. So that's the end of all the TV update stuff. Next up, we have a little interview. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This week's interview is with director and visual effects supervisor Paul Franklin. Paul is best known probably as an effects supervisor first because he's won Academy Awards and BAFTAs for work on things like Chris Nolan's Inception and Interstellar. He worked on The Dark Knight, various Batman movies actually, and uh, Captain America Civil War, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So very, very high-end visual effects supervisor. He's now turned his hand to directing and he's directed this little short film called The Escape, which opened at the Tribeca Film Festival. So we talk a bit to Paul about uh, his visual effects work obviously about the film The Escape we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV Hey it's Paul Franklin here Hi Paul how are you doing? Yeah, very good, David. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for coming on and spending a little bit of time to talk about, well, primarily your new film, I guess, yeah. <laughs> which is called The Escape, and it's a short oh. film. Premiered at Tribeca Film Festival. It's, it has now premiered, hasn't it, I think? Yes, it has. Yeah, we had the, the world premiere, uh, which, <laughs> rather, rather, I, which I think is a slightly grandiose way of describing it, because it was part of the short film programme at Tribeca, so it right. was uh, streamed last Thursday uh, in New York City. We were all there for it. And uh, yeah, it was great. And it went down, it seemed to go down pretty well. It, you know, got a good response. Good. Uh, people seemed to like it. And it was also wonderful to be able to premiere the film in New York City, which is where Robert Shackley, the author of the original short story on which the film is based, came from. Ah, that's that's very cool. That's very good. Do you want to just try and sum up the film for uh, people that haven't managed to get to see it yet? Sure, absolutely. The Escape, is it's a short film. It's about 15 minutes long. And it's uh, a story of a man called Lambert, who you meet at the beginning of the film, and he's going to uh, have a meeting with a, a rather mysterious individual called Kellen who seems to live in a strange sort of lock-up kind of warehouse sort of place out on the edge of town somewhere. And Kellen makes Lambert an extraordinary offer. He says that in return for a fee, he can free Lambert from his plane of existence, so cast off the shackles of this world and go and live in a fantasy world of his choosing for some uncertain amount of time. And it can be anything, anything he wants. It's what's in his heart. His heart's desire has to drive this choice. So whatever he dreams of, whether it's dreams of riches or gluttony or sexual pleasure or being a god, whatever it is, he can have it. All he has to do is turn over everything he owns and give up 10 years of his life. So it's a very high price. And yes. It's an extraordinary offer. But Lambert appears to be very taken with this and is clearly considering it. And you think, well, obviously there's something a bit strange going on here. And Lambert then returns to his family. You see him go back home on the train, back to the suburbs, back to his home. And the pressures of life press in on him. Uh, you know, there's uh, stuff to fix in the home. His kids need help with schoolwork and choosing universities. There's uh, trouble at work uh, with uh, layoffs. And, and all along, you're hearing this sort of background burble from the radio of, you know, there's been terrible weather and flooding and everything. And you see a man who's rather detached from his life and perhaps you think you're seeing a man who's 
building up the excuses as to why he's going to walk out on his family. Another hopeless middle-aged guy uh, coming up with an excuses for his midlife crisis. Yeah. But then when you find the truth of what actually is happening and what Lambert really wants, it completely turns everything on its head at the end of the film. And I won't spoil the ending by uh, giving away the surprise at the end. Yes. They, yeah. um, but it's very, it's it really what the film does is it, it asks you to think about what's important in your life and what really matters to you. And, you know, and also really to, you know, just, just stand back for a little minute and take stock of what you've actually got. Yeah, it, it's a fascinating little short film. Where, where did you find the book from? Was it something you already knew? It was, actually. It's, the short story is written by uh, a guy called Robert Sheckley, who was a quite a prolific uh, writer in the 1950s and 60s and was mostly known for his uh, sort of satirical science fiction. And uh, he, uh, you know, almost comedic science fiction, you might say. He was a very witty writer. And he wrote this story back in the 1950s. It's originally called The Store of the Worlds. And I read it when I was a teenager. Right. Um, and in fact, in fact, I think it was my, my mom had a collection of his short stories, which is how I came to know his work. And the story really struck me and stayed with me. And I kept thinking about it for many, many years. And as I got older and you know, got my own career and, and got my own family and and the pressures of life and everything, what's important becomes more and more apparent to you as you get older. Yeah. Uh, I found that the story began to speak to me with uh, a new voice, that it was, um, I found it really very, very compelling. And a few years ago, when I was beginning to think about what I would really like to do uh, to make a short film, I was looking for a great idea for the heart of a short film. I thought, well, you know, the story of the worlds is uh, fantastic source material because it spoke to me so strongly. I thought, well, this is, this is where I want to start. But it took me a while to work out how to get into it, how to approach it, uh, and turn it into something which was very personal. Because that's ultimately what I want to do, is to give people you know, a little bit of a human experience when they watch it, that they're watching a character-driven, uh, emotionally-based drama, rather than uh, a visual effects extravaganza, which some people <laughs> might expect from me. Yes, yeah, it, it is sort of quite different to, to what your day job is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've been incredibly lucky. I've worked with some amazing filmmakers, particularly my work with Chris Nolan over yes. the last uh, decade or so. And Chris, you know, he's the most amazing filmmaker. And uh, when I, uh, you know, I learned so much just by being on set with him and watching him work and understanding his process, how he sets up the shots, how he works with, particularly how he works with the cast, um, how he creates a space for the cast to be able to do their, do their job properly and, uh, um, you know, and really bring out the heart of the story. So he's been an absolute inspiration. But increasingly over the last few years, as I began to think more and more about it, I began to think, well, you know, I'd really love to learn, use everything that I've learned and put it to use telling the stories that are important to me. And so that's where the, uh, you know, the motivation for the escape came from. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about cast as well, because, mm, um, I, I mean, you, you've got a pretty spectacular cast together. There's four kind of main cast members, which are Julian Sands, who is, is one of those guys that if you're, if you're of my sort of age, uh, you, you know fairly well. If, yeah. if you're younger, he kind of pops up in things because, you know, we, I know from obviously Killing Fields and, you know, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, League of Las Vegas, but then sort of pops up as Jurel in Smallville and Stargate. And he was in Banshee recently in episodes of 24. Yeah and you know so so you've got him amazing actor you've got art malik from uh harby city and and uh sherlock and cold feet and living daylights and true lies and all that yes. uh 
Olivia Williams, who was in the Halcyon recently, but a lot of our listeners yeah. will probably know her as the uh, house madam from Dollhouse, from Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Yes, that's true. Uh, yeah. And uh, Ben Miller from Death in Paradise and Primeval and one half of Armstrong and Miller. So th- how how did you end up bringing that cast together? Because that, there's some pretty decent names in there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I was I was looking for a certain type of cast when I was writing the uh, when I was writing the film and I was adapting it. And um, you know, I put the script together and I uh, reached out to a couple of friends of mine who are film producers, Jessica Parker and Jessica Malik of uh, Parapasu Films. And um, Jess and Jess are very, very well connected to uh, the community of uh, agents here in London. Right. And we basically just started sending the script out to agents to say, you know, do uh, your clients that are, do you, you know, who might be available might be interested in this. And I was actually really quite overwhelmed by the number of people who responded so strongly to the to the story. You know, I think at, at the heart of it is uh, the genius of Robert Sheckley's writing. You know, it's the original short story is a beautifully uh, constructed piece of writing, and you know, there's not a wasted word in it. Yeah. And I was keen to try and capture as much of that spirit whilst taking it and bringing it into my own world. And I think the, the cast responded to that. And I was, uh, you know, amazingly touched by the generosity of uh, the acting community. And really, I couldn't have asked for a better cast, you know, and particularly Julian Sands, who was so supportive right from the very, very beginning and managed to find a slot in his very busy schedule, as did Olivia Williams, who uh, yeah. gave one of her precious weekend days uh, to shoot this. Uh, you know, she'd been working uh, pretty uh, ex- intensively in Los Angeles and just come back. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's got a young family and would like to spend time with them, but she was willing to come and shoot this. And then, um, you know, I knew Ben Miller from a, a TV show. I did an episode of his TV show. Right. Uh, it's not rocket science. And, oh, yeah. and then Art Malik, uh, well, you may, you may guess there's a connection there that Jess Malik is, uh, is, is the daughter of Art Malik. Ah. And so she sent her father the script and he was really into it. Cool. And he brought the, um, uh, the kind of gravitas and uh, an intensity that I really wanted in Kellen. Because Kellen is really quite a challenging part because when you first meet him, he is a, he's a very kind of menacing and dubious character. He's almost like a Svengali. Yeah. Uh, and there's a sort of element of some sort of Faustian pact that uh, Lambert is striking with Callum at the beginning of the film. Uh, but then later on, you begin to realise that perhaps uh, he's not everything that you th- well, he's not what you initially thought, that he's something else entirely. As I say, to the, uh, hopefully the story turns expectation on its head. So, um, and he was, you know, he did an absolutely brilliant job of it. We shot it in a very fast and frantic three and a half days, and that includes <laughs> the aerial shoot, which tops and tails the film. Wow. So it's um, it was uh, it was it was intense. You know, we didn't have we didn't have time to mess around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's all shot around London. As yes, well. uh, it's shot in and around Southeast London, which is where I live, around the Greenwich and Blackheath area. And I was very keen to use places that mean something to me. Yeah. So, for instance, the restaurant that you see uh, Julian and Ben in uh, when he's meeting when uh, Lambert is meeting his work colleague Mike. That is a little restaurant in Greenwich, the Rivington Grill, who were fantastically generous and gave us a lot of time in that restaurant and really uh, bent over backwards to help us. Yeah. And that, was, that used to be the bar of the cinema in, uh, in Greenwich, which is where I first <laughs> went for, I used to go for dates with my, uh, my wife. 
when we were first going out together. And then when you see Julian looking out across uh, Canary Wharf, he's standing on top of One Tree Hill in Greenwich Park, which I think is a very special place. I've lived in a, a, around. I lived around. I've lived around Greenwich Park for the last twenty-five years, and it's where I proposed to my wife. So it means <laughs> an awful lot to me. Yeah. And and then later on, we went out to West London to uh, an amazing props warehouse in Acton, which is Trevor Housen's props warehouse. <laughs> which is served as Kellen's Works, Kellen's Emporium, as it's ah, named. yes. And that gave us the amazing collection of uh, extraordinary objects that I really wanted this rich, deep texture in that space. And, uh, and it was just, you know, you couldn't have asked for more in terms of production value yeah. on, uh, on such a small budget. And then finally, we had uh, our little uh, aerial shoot was out on uh, Canby Island, on the beach there at low tide, which gives us these very surreal sort of shining mudflats and then the vast sweep of the Thames, because the Thames opens up to be about uh, two or three miles wide there. So it's a very unusual and striking landscape. It's not not what you think of when you think of uh, the environs of London, because it's about an hour and an hour or so's drive outside of London. And it gave us some real scale and scope and uh, some interesting textures there. Wow, that's very cool. That's the one bit that you wouldn't think was anywhere near London. Yeah, definitely. No, I've been, I've been studying it on Google Maps for about two years, thinking that would be a great place to shoot a film. <laughs> so uh, I finally got my got my wish. So as we mentioned, you are a visual effects supervisor is your, is your kind of day job. What made you want to get into making your own movie? Well, I guess, you know, I got involved in filmmaking uh, when I was a student. Uh, when I was, a, I was an art student at university back in the, in the late 80s. Yeah. And I was working with a group of friends who were doing a lot of student theatre, making plays and things. And I was I was essentially the company designer. I would build the sets and do the posters. And one day we all discovered that we had a, a mutual interest in making films together. <laughs> and so we started making short films. And I sort of naturally gravitated towards design and editing and what have you. And, and I, I guess my, my interest in film was always to make my own films. But what happened is I discovered... Uh, visual effects. I'd always been interested in effects in films growing up watching things like Star Wars and Star Trek. Yeah. And I, I was fascinated by the idea of being able to build worlds uh, out of models and you know optical effects and things. But in the late 80s, that was just when um, computer graphics were really beginning to take off in terms of being able to create convincing lifelike images. And this completely turbocharged the whole visual effects business, which is as old as cinema itself. You think of Georges Méliès and the Trip to the Moon, you know, and the, all yeah. the trip photography in those films. You know, so it goes back right to the very beginning of cinema. But at the end of the eighties, beginning of the nineties, uh, the computers came and just really took it to a new level altogether because you could now create imagery that yeah. was uh, seamless with the rest of the photography. So uh, I, and I was fascinated by this because I was I loved the idea of using computer graphics as a new creative medium in my artwork as an art student. I was a sculptor. And I loved the idea of being able to sculpt things inside the data space of the computer. And then I found you could do, you could tell stories with it, make animations, and you could get it into films. And crucially, you could get paid for it, which was, <laughs> uh, which you know, uh, coming, oh, out, coming out of college as a broke student, it was uh, that was quite an important consideration. Yeah. And I just fell in love with the whole thing. And frankly, I got a little bit distracted by it for about 25 years. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and, and the visual effects world took off like a rocket. Yeah. And I rode that rocket for a very long time, and it's been incredibly good to me. You know uh, that uh, the people I've got to meet, the films I've been able to work on, it's uh, it's been incredibly satisfying. But as I say, my initial intent, original intent, was to make my own films. Yeah. And essentially, I've had 25 years at the best film school in the entire world, which is working directly with 
you know, top directors on uh, really big on movies of every possible scale, from tiny little independent films, you know, for uh, independent British uh, filmmakers, all the way up to mega Hollywood uh, blockbuster productions. Yeah. So it's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you should, should say that some of your uh, most recent films, um, mm-hmm. Inception, Interstellar, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Vision Impossible, Rogue Nation, Captain America, Civil War, Harry Potter and the half the Prince. I mean, that's not a bad CV, really. That's pretty good. It's, uh, I can't, uh, you know, they, uh, as I say, the I guess what that reflects is the way that visual effects has really taken off. It's very difficult to think of a film these days, certainly a mainstream movie, which doesn't have some kind of visual effects components in it even yeah. if it's a regular socially re- social realist drama like something like the girl on the train or whatever all these things have visual effects in them yeah. you know so whether it's just adding a train in the background or painting out a sign or something like that that's a digital visual effects artist that's doing that work and of course when it comes to fantasy filmmaking which has been lifted to a completely different plane by the advent of modern visual effects technology you know films that would have been b movies in the 60s and early yeah. 70s are now mainstream A-list films. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's guys like me that have been involved in doing that. Well, I mean, particularly with Nolan stuff, because, I mean, he's he's been described as making billion-dollar art house films in quite a lot of cases I mean Inception particularly uh, just just phenomenal the uh, and I mean the visual effects work in that with the the cityscapes bending and and folding is just incredible one of the things Nolan's quite well known for is trying to capture as much as he can in camera when it comes to effects does that make your your job a lot easier Uh, no not really it's uh, (laughs) I mean well I mean it's a different it's a different type of filmmaking I would say that you compare Chris's filmmaking to say somebody who uses visual effects in every single shot you know you think about the, the Marvel movies for example yes Captain America for example which almost every shot in the film has got some kind of visual effects in it yes it's, it's just a different type of filmmaking I'd say uh, what I what Chris does is as you rightly say is he he tries to put as much reality as possible in front of the camera because his philosophy is that you know, a filmmaker films the real world and then uses that to tell their story. And then we use the visual effects for the things that we just can't do any other way. Yeah. And we build, where at all possible, we build on that photographed reality. So the, the, the images that we create in the computers, or maybe we're making them with models, we use a lot of physical miniatures in Chris's films, we are building on the observed reality that was captured on the set, on the location. And I think that gives the films a very unique texture, which is even in the case of something like Interstellar, this extraordinary story of intergalactic exploration and flying through wormholes and going to strange new worlds and things like that, is is based in a photographic reality. And so it gives it a very authentic, almost documentary-like feel in places that's very much a, a, um, not the mainstream of, of big Hollywood filmmaking, which has this very slick, smooth digital surface to it. Yeah. And then it, it puts quite a lot of pressure on us because the, the visual effects, particularly the digital imagery, has to be held to the same standard as the reality that was captured on the location. And, you know, the interstellar, we went to some spectacular locations. We built some, you know, enormous sets. Uh, or if you think of the Batman films, you think of Dark Knight Rises, that incredible underground prison set, which was just overwhelming. You know, you're yeah. easily lost in that set. It was so big. <laughs> Or the uh, or the Gotham City sets in uh, in the Dark Knight in the earlier Dark Knight movies. Yeah, you know that that pushes you very very hard. If you think of something like that scene in Inception, you're talking about where the street folds over. You know, we shot that handheld on an actual street in Paris with Leo and Alan standing in front of the camera, 
There's no green screen. Uh, that's something we don't use in Chris's films if we can help it. Yeah. And the foreground of the shot is entirely real. But the audience is can clearly see something crazy is going on because the street is folding up. So they're all looking for the joint. And that puts the pressure on you to really make sure that your digital visual effects work is seamless with everything else that's going on, even though you're doing something outrageous with it. You can't hide in the surreal nature of the image in any way. Yeah. So it's, you know, there's, um, and also Chris has got um, laser beam vision. I mean, I've never met anybody with a greater level of visual attention than that man. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, uh, and I'm not trying to flatter him because it's actually something that can become quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> but it's, he's, you know, he pushes you very, very hard, and he holds you to a very, very high standard. And you know, uh, the results uh, speak for themselves. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to his new film. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, is it Dunkirk? The new Dunkirk. The, yes, the it's new, the new story video. of you know the famous yeah. The of the British Expeditionary Force from the beaches of Dunkirk in northern France in uh, 1940. And uh, it'll be as extraordinary and as unexpected as any other film you've seen from Chris in the past. Yes, I'm very, very much looking forward to that because I've been a huge fan of, of basically everything from going back to Memento. So I am looking forward to seeing that. Right, got two final questions for you. Sure. First one is, because we cover a lot of TV shows on the site, we ask these to everybody. Oh. So first one is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? I've just started watching Legion. Oh, uh, yes. Which is, uh, which is kind of extraordinary. Um, you're talking about surreal imagery. Yeah, oh, yeah. Positions of ideas. I think that's quite a radical piece of, uh, of, uh, of, of TV right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm very much enjoying that. But I'm a huge fan, whenever it's on, I'm a huge fan of um, the, uh, the TV show, which I, I watch on Amazon Prime, which is Vikings. Yes. Which I, I, I like, I describe, one of my friends asked me what's Vikings about. I said, well, you know, it's like, a, it's like Game of Thrones, but it's a little bit more rooted in history and there are no dragons. <laughs> so, uh, and I, I think that's a fantastic film, the way, sorry, TV show, because I love the way that it, it works with, with history, but it also works with myth. Because yeah. it's describing a time where myth and legend was just tipping over into the recorded history that became the fabric of our world. And I, th- and I think there's some fantastic performances and brilliant use of location out in Ireland in particular, where they film a lot of it. Yeah. And, and also the, the, the effects work is pretty pretty impressive, I have to say. Yeah, it's a fantastic TV show. We um, we spoke to the, uh, I can't remember the name, but the, the lady that plays Helga, Floki's yes. wife, uh, we spoke yeah. to her just towards the end of last year. Uh, mm. It was lovely. And and yeah, we so the, if you want to go back and listen to, to a show earlier on, there's oh, quite a... Quite a good interview with her. So my second question is, uh, if you had the opportunity to work on, I know you don't really work on TV, but if you had the opportunity to work on a TV show, past, present or future, which show would it be? Well, I mean, I personally don't work on television, but Double Negative Visual Effects has a a very sizable television department now. So uh, we work across a range of shows, including a lot of stuff for HBO and uh, Netflix and the BBC. And what I what, if I had if I had a show I could really work on that I'd love to I would love to be involved in a show that's going on right now um, though it's not on air just at the moment is uh, I think Black Mirror is fantastic right um, I think I love I you know I think Charlie Brooker has read all of the same dystopian science fiction novels that I read in the 1990s <laughs> and uh, uh, and he's you know he's got a very very smart take and understanding on the way that science fiction basically takes our world and amplifies it to draw out 
ideas and themes which might not necessarily be obvious or can tell you, give you a little bit of pointer of where we're going in the future. If I was thinking of a, a TV show I've, that I've wanted, you know, from the past that I'd want to work on, you know, it's like, where do you begin? I think, uh, you know, actually, I, I love, there's a TV show, a British TV show that I really love from the 1980s called A Very Peculiar Practice. Right, which, yes. Which um, is, you know, again, people might think, well, that's a bit unexpected because it's not full of robots and spaceships. But it's this fantastic story about the medical practice of a modern university, English university in the 1980s, that's suffering under the, cut, the, the, the cuts that Margaret Thatcher and his government imposed upon the education system at the time. And I think at the time I only watched it because it starred the very recently departed fifth doctor, Peter Davison. I mean, I was right. a huge Doctor Who fan, I was a teenager, so I thought, oh, it's what he's doing next. But it's the most brilliant piece of surreal social uh, satire that I've ever seen, and it still holds up. It's, it's full of marvellous performances, and it's one of the darkest comedies you could ever possibly watch. That would have been brilliant to have been part of that. <laughs> have to say that is one that we've never had before, but yes, I do yeah. remember that show. It was very good. It's, it's great. It's really great. Awesome. Right, I shall let you get back to your evening. Thank you for spending a bit of time uh, talking about your film. Um, I really enjoyed it. So, uh, w- w- oh, Thank you so much. Where can people go and get it? Well, it, uh, right now, it's uh, you know we're, we're getting it out into film festivals. Uh, uh, we have got it into a few other film festivals. I can't tell you what they are just yet because they haven't announced their programs. Right, yeah. Uh, but hopefully we'll get it into film festivals all around the world and then we'll see where it goes after that. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you, David. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. That was the interview with Paul Franklin. Hope you enjoyed that. Next up, we've got some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> Highlights for next week on TV. Only four shows we've got. Starts off with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which returns for its third season on the 19th of May on Netflix. I've seen a few episodes of this, and it's one that I want to go back and watch because it was very funny. It's well worth picking up. Um, Twin Peaks returns technically for a third season, I guess, Uh, but it's the Twin Peaks revival. That's coming on the 22nd of May at 2am um so it's simulcasting with the us on sky atlantic and then we'll be starting again later on on the 22nd at sort of 9 or 10 p.m are you going to be watching this because i didn't really see any of the original twin peaks so but i sort of want to see it out of curiosity now it's something that was very referential stuff going on at the time so it's i think it's quite hard to watch it for the first time out of context I, I sort of want to go back and watch the original but i'm struggling in two minds as to whether i i might watch the first episode see if it makes any sense if it doesn't i'll give up <laughs> maybe maybe that's the way i'll do it Twin um, Peaks doesn't make a huge amount of sense if you're looking for something to make sense well that is true probably yes. the wrong show um it's something that is such a famous cult classic and it comes with so much hype and so much expectation that watching it as a new viewer now it's sort of almost impossible for it to live up live up to that hype and live up to everyone else's nostalgia i might just take a look at the first episode and see how i get on um because i really can't be bothered to go back and watch all the previous stuff i know it's supposed to be a great series but i missed it first time around there's a lot of it there's a movie to get through as well that i just I don't have the time so uh, we'll see yes 
Also starting this week, Criminal Minds Beyond Borders comes back for its second and, as we announced earlier, final season on W, the channel formerly known as Watch, on the 23rd of May at 9pm. So not coming back for another series, not really a show I watched, but uh, yeah, and neither neither will anybody else. Uh, (laughs) Lastly, Wentworth Prison is back for its fifth series. That's on Five Star from the 23rd of May at 9pm, which I know is quite popular with a lot of people out there but again not one i've really been watching so that's everything unless you've got anything else you'd like to add in no that's it really the only other thing i forgot to mention that i did was i watched guardians of the galaxy volume 2 and then promptly went on youtube to rant about it so if anyone wants to see me make no friends at all on the internet then they can go to my trista bites youtube channel and take a look at that um i'm also on all the social medias and on, on geek town if anyone wants to take a look at any other bits and pieces I've been doing or watch a video of the dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Who doesn't want to see videos of dinosaurs? Um, yes, I do, do go and listen to the um, Guardians of the Galaxy review because we were talking about it last week and that's a very fair and balanced review, I think. So, yes, go and watch that. That is everything for us this week. If you want to find out more, and there is a lot of news over the next week or so as all the upfronts come in, go and visit the website at geektown.co.uk to see all the latest info and find all the latest air dates. If you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, you can email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. You can leave a message on the website post, find us at Geektown on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown, or YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown, or on Instagram at geektownuk. That's everything. We shall see you next next week. Bye-bye. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.